If this is your first day, or if you've been a part of this church for 50 years, this is a really good day to be here. Because we're going to get into something in just a moment that is applicable for every person who is right now sucking air and pumping blood. It's going to be something that I believe will help each of us. Now, before we get into that, though, we do want to take just a moment and honor and acknowledge those in our midst who have given so much of their lives for our benefit, not just as a church, not just as a city, but as a nation, because tomorrow is Veterans Day. And I know that in our church there are many here who have served in a branch of military, who have participated and helped and given us and extended the freedom that we so enjoy. So what we'd like to do this morning is if you have served at any point in your life in any branch of military, if you have been a servant to this nation and helped continue the freedom that we enjoy, would you please just stand right where you are, go and stand where you are, and church, let's just thank them for their sacrifice and their service. Thank you. What an appropriate thing to do as people of God to acknowledge the sacrifice of those around us for the freedom we now enjoy because on that cross, as we just read, Jesus Christ secured for us eternal freedom, not simply from sin, but from Satan, sin, and ultimately death. Understand, as much, as much, as much as we honor those of you who have given your time, your energy, your blood, your sweat, your tears, for those of you who were putting your life on the line, and especially for those who have given their lives in the call of duty, as much as we honor you, your sacrifice, and I know you'd be the first to say this, your sacrifice, as important as it is, only extended the duration of our life on earth. It did not, it did not purchase for us eternal life. There's been only one through the history of the world who was able to give his life and therefore purchase eternal life for all people. Now I know if you are not a Christ follower, if this is your first day, maybe you came with a friend because your friend said, hey, I will buy you breakfast if you'll come with me to church. You get in the car when they pick you up, they throw you a 10-year-old Twinkie and say, enjoy your breakfast. And they drove you to church this morning. If that's why you're here, and you hear this claim that Jesus is God, that we believe he died, he rose, he lives, and has purchased eternal life for us, you may say, that is insane saying, we think, and I would love to have an opportunity to show you why, but we believe that it is the only sane conclusion to what happened almost 2,000 years ago in a know-nothing backwoods part of the world, and yet because of what happened there, the good news of this one man spread not just a few miles for a few years, but it has covered the globe for two thousand years and now even right now around the world there are men and women celebrating this resurrected man named Jesus Christ and we'd love to talk to you about that in fact that's the only reason we're here this morning is to help you and help one another take our next step with Jesus now next week just a real quick promo next week I want you to come back because we're going to talk about the Thanksgiving table. And, I, and I'm going to tell you, I think next week may be one of the most encouraging messages you hear leading up to 
Thanksgiving Day. So we just want to invite you to be back as we dig deep into the scriptures next week. But we'll get into that then. For today, we're going to talk about the path of a disciple. The path of a disciple. Now, in scripture, if you were to look up the word Christian, by the way, do we have any Christians here this morning? Can I see some hands? Welcome. If you were to look up the word Christian in scripture, you would find it three times. Yet, if you were to look up the word disciple, you would see it over 200 times. The word disciple is far and away the more often used word to describe those who are after Jesus Christ. And here's why I think this is very important. In the American understanding of Christian, we often assume that a Christian is someone who goes to church on Sunday, who gives a portion of their income, and attempts to be just a little bit better than the rest of the world. And we think that's a Christian. Now, by the way, I think the word Christian is a great word. It's a biblical word. It's a word we use. But unfortunately, when people think about a Christian, they don't always think about a disciple. In fact, in our culture, many people assume that following Jesus means one thing and being a Christian can mean something completely different. And so this morning, I want us to look at a somewhat familiar story of two disciples who meet Jesus and maybe figure out what it means for us to be disciples who take our next steps in following Jesus. So, if you have your Bibles, let's go to the Gospel of John. That's in the New Testament. The Bible's divided up into two sections. The Older Testament is the story before the birth of Christ, and the New Testament begins with the birth of Jesus and what happens in the early church for about the first 30 to 60 years after the resurrection of Jesus. The Gospel of John is one of four books at the very beginning of the New Testament. These are the stories, biographies of the life of Jesus. And the fourth one, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The fourth one was written by a man named... John, congratulations, not a trick question. John wrote the gospel according to John about the life of Jesus. And in chapter 1 of John, he begins to tell us how Jesus' ministry begins. And so look with me. John, chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. The next day, John, not the same guy who wrote this gospel, but a different John. This is John the Baptist. No, he does not go to the Baptist church. This is John the baptizer. John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour, verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did, and I think this is so cool, we'll come back to it, but notice it's the first thing Andrew did. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon, who's also known as Peter, and tell him we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this moment in time where as we gather around your scripture that you would meet us here 
Jesus, we pray that as you passed by those two disciples, you would pass by us this morning and teach us what we would have to learn so that we can be who you've called us to be. We love you. We thank you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Here's a map I want to show you of part of the ancient world in the first century. This is Judea in the first century. Now, Judea was the southern half portion of Israel. If you go to the north, you get into Galilee. Now, Galilee, if you are familiar with your your scriptures, Galilee was where Jesus spent most of his ministry in an area up there called the Triangle. It was in three different cities, and that's where Jesus primarily ministered. But at the beginning of his ministry, we see that Jesus is in the southern portion of Israel in a place called, well, Judea. There we go. Judea was where Jerusalem was. It was a hotbed of Jewish activity. And there was a man by the name of John who began his ministry in Judea. John was the precursor. The preparer, the one who went before the Messiah, the chosen one of God, the one who will save us from our sins. He went before Jesus to tell everyone, like a cheerleader, hey, he's coming. He's coming. He's going to be here soon. You need to get ready for him. And so he was telling people, you need to repent from your sins. You need to stop living this way. You need to identify with God. Wash away your sins. Be a different person. And so people would come out from the center of Jewish life, Jerusalem. And they would come out to John where he was baptizing people in the Jordan River. Now, we're told that he was in an area called Bethany. But it says it was on the other side of the river. Now, if you'll notice on the map, Bethany right here is near Jerusalem. This is the home of some people you know in your Bibles. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But John is not in this Bethany. We're told that he's in the one on the other side. And so one day, John is teaching, talking, walking, baptizing. And he is with, we're told, two of his disciples. Now, this is an interesting thing. Jesus was not the first to have disciples. Many rabbis or teachers had disciples. And they would teach their disciples various things. In fact, if you were to look around... This is what you basically see. Disciples do three things. If you want to take notes, you can write this down. Disciples did basically three things. Number one, as a disciple, if you and I were back in that day, we would learn our rabbi's teaching. We would learn what our rabbi, our leader taught. Now, in the Bible, you may hear Jesus talk about, he says, take my yoke upon you for it is light. It's not burdensome. The word yoke was the word that described the totality of a rabbi's teaching. And so the first thing you would learn, you would learn your rabbi's yoke, his teaching, what he taught, what he thought. So if you and I were rabbi students, if we were disciples in the back, back in the first century, we would show up every day. We would go to our our rabbi. We would open the Bible. We would read this text every day, every day, every day. We would immerse ourselves in the text, learning about it, understanding it. We would want to know all the interesting things and all the little juicy tidbits. We'd want to know who the Nephilim were in Genesis chapter 6. The Nephilim who? It's not something from Winnie the Pooh Bear like Heffalops and Woozles. No, it's not that. They'd go back. Some of you know who I'm talking about, right? They would go back. They'd want to know all the details. So they'd learn. They would know the text. They would study the text. By the way, if you are a disciple of Jesus, you want to know the text. 
They would learn the rabbi's teaching. Number two, you would become like your rabbi. This means you wouldn't simply listen to what he says. You would watch what he did and try to do it. In fact, one of the funniest things I saw years ago, it was a YouTube video. Okay, it's a waste of time. I know that. I've lost more years on YouTube. But YouTube had this great video of a mother with three of her children and it was hilarious because she was walking around the house doing typical mom activities and whenever she turned around her three children there's two girls and a little boy poor little dude he's got only sisters to watch so he did what they did so when mom would go to the kitchen and make food the little girls would get their little dishes out and they'd make pretend food when mom would go and do laundry the the little girls would do laundry and it was so funny because the little boy was doing it for a while you know trying to just hang out and then finally he just grabbed the bowls and started throwing them at people pretending they were guns and stuff it's like yep he's a boy but what's cool is this was a picture of a disciple Little people following their teacher. Disciples become like their rabbi. So you watch how your rabbi speaks. You try to talk. Not just the words, but the inflection, the emotion, the passion of your rabbi. You would listen to how the rabbi answers questions and how the rabbi poses solutions. You would watch even how the rabbi would sleep and eat and tie his shoes or sandals as it were. You wanted to become a carbon copy of your rabbi. You learned your rabbi's teaching. You became like your rabbi. And number three, this was all for the goal of carrying on your rabbi's work in the world. Your goal was when your rabbi retired or died, that you would become just like your rabbi. So much so that people would know you because of your rabbi. They would say, I see in you Rabbi Hillel. Or I see in you, Rabbi Shammai. Or I see in you, this rabbi or that rabbi, because of the way you live, breathe, move, act, and think. And so the goal was always to hear these words, go and make disciples, Jesus will tell us in Matthew 28, as Jesus himself made disciples of himself. And so this was what a disciple would do. Now, we still have disciples today, don't we? How many of you... Have you ever heard of the name Steve Jobs? Any hands know Steve Jobs? Even if you don't know him, you probably see uh, his handiwork, this thing called an iPhone or an iPad or an iAir or whatever I, I, I they could come up with. He's the guy who sort of got the ball rolling at Apple. And I remember before Steve Jobs passed away in 2011, I read an article in Fast Company where this one guy was talking about his business strategy and the way that he led his company and all the things he did. And he had this one phrase. He said, I am a disciple of Steve Jobs. Meaning, he wanted to be like Steve Jobs. I have a friend in Nashville named Matt who was learning to become a plumber. And so he went through this process of becoming a plumber. In fact, uh, the word disciple is the Hebrew word talmudin. Everybody, let's say Talmudin on one, two, three. One, two, three. Congratulations. Good job. Talmudin. Now, that's a weird word that is hard sometimes to translate into English, but it can be translated a few ways. Follower, learner, student, or the one that I think is most applicable, and this is what most commentaries suggest, is the best word to describe a disciple for us today is an apprentice. One who learns from their teacher to do what their teacher 
does. So back to my friend Matt, he was studying to become a plumber. And so to become a plumber, evidently there was an apprenticeship process that he had to go through. And so he would go with the plumber wherever the plumber went, do whatever the plumber did. (laughs) In fact, I asked him one day, what is the hardest thing about becoming a plumber? He said, when my teacher tells me to do something I really don't want to do, put your hand there, clean that out there. And I just went, but to be A disciple means you do what your rabbi does. You don't simply say, that's an interesting thought. I'll bank it away and consider it for later. You actually do what your rabbi tells you to do. And we still have disciples today. And so, let's kind of walk through the text here. Because the very first thing I want you to consider this morning is one question. I'm going to give you two questions. Here's the first one. Whose disciple am I? When you think about your life, when you consider who you are, ask yourself this question, and this this goes for anyone in this room. If you are a Christ follower, if you are not a Christian, if you are just whoever you are, whose disciple am I? Because did you notice these two men were disciples before they met Jesus? They were already being taught by learning from, influenced, under the authority of someone or something else. Here's what you and I just need to grasp today. You and I are right now being apprenticed by someone, something, or some idea that is culturally bound. So when you and I listen to particular things, watch certain things, do you understand that in those moments you are actually being apprenticed by an idea? The question is not, am I a disciple? But whose disciple am I? And if you are a disciple of Jesus, here's a real simple definition of a disciple. Go ahead and put this up. A disciple is someone who decides daily to take their next step with Jesus. It's someone who says, today, I'm not going to follow my old teacher, my old rabbi. I have left him. In fact, you notice what the two disciples do. When John says, behold, I see the Lamb of God. That was a Hebraic term talking about the Messiah, the one that had been promised for centuries. When he said, I see him. The two disciples said, hey, you've been great, John, but we're going with him because he is the true rabbi they could no longer follow this rabbi and yet follow jesus hear me now some of us in this room are going to have to make a decision who will be our teacher whose disciple am i am i a disciple of jesus if so then you and i today will have to say what is my next step if i am a disciple of jesus then i must walk with follow do what jesus did say what jesus says become who jesus was does this make sense church that is a depressing response does this make sense church okay otherwise we're gonna have to start all over and you don't want to miss lunch so we're gonna keep going here we go so now Here's the picture of a disciple. In fact, one of the challenges is when we read about this, sometimes we assume that a disciple is this super perfect holy person. We go, oh man, you know, I want to be a disciple. I, I, I like Jesus, but man, if you knew what I did. In fact, I think one of the number one things that keeps us from being disciples of Jesus is we have long memories of our past 
but short memories of his faithfulness. We remember what we did wrong, but we fail to remember how much he loves us, so much so that we forget that he is not looking to get rid of us. He is looking for reasons to embrace us. And so you need to know this morning, you and I, we're at different points in the path of discipleship, but if you today say, I just want to explore what it means to follow Jesus, congratulations, you are on the path of discipleship. And Jesus, as a gracious teacher, will take you every step of the way. So let's just kind of walk through this. Because this picture, this story that we just read, shows us entire process. Now stay with this slide for a moment here. But there are basically four major sections in the path of a disciple. And we see them play out here. Notice in verse 37 through 39, you have two men. They are disciples of John, but when they see Jesus, they hear that he is someone special. They leave their former teacher. They follow Jesus. And they begin to be like this shadow. In fact, you notice a really kind of funny interaction here. It's not up on screen, but if you look at your Bibles, it says this. When the two disciples, verse 37, heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following him. Now, here's what's funny to me. How many of you remember uh, the movie Finding Nemo? Like the first one, not, not, not Finding Dory or something, Finding Nemo. You remember that one scene where, and some of you, are, I'm going to completely lose you. Hang with me, I'll be back for the rest of you in a moment. But you remember that moment where Dory, the fish who has a forgetful memory, she can't remember anything for very long. She's swimming away and she looks over her shoulder and there's this fish like following her. And as she sees the fish following, she kind of like freaks out. She keeps going faster, faster. I get this funny mental picture that Jesus is walking and he looks over his shoulder to see these two very eager disciples and he kind of speeds up a little bit. And they can't go a little faster. He's like, keeps going faster. And it's like, okay, wait, wait, wait. What do you want? What are you doing today? By the way, this is an important question, church. What do you want? What is it that you desire more than anything else? What is it that wakes you up in the middle of the night and gets you out of bed early in the morning? If you can find what it is you really want, you will, by the way, figure out who your true rabbi is. Because we will always follow what we believe will get us what we ultimately want. So Jesus says, what do you want? What is it that you're after? And notice what they say. Hey, we just want to know where you're staying, Jesus. And this is such a cool thing. They have yet to say, we're with Jesus. They're just saying, we're kind of curious. In fact, do you know what he says? He says, okay, come. Just come and see. Are you at that place right now? Some of you are visiting this morning and you're at that place. And I want you to know that Jesus is excited that you might even just come kick the tires of faith. Check it out. And he says, hey, look, yeah, just come explore. Come look. Come figure out what I am all about. And here's what is so cool. Notice what they do next. It says they followed Jesus and they spent the whole day with him. This is one of the most incredible verses because in verse 40 we see Andrew, one of the two, take his next step of faith. Notice what happens. Go ahead, next slide here. In verse 41, he goes and he finds his brother Peter and he says, Guess what? I think we have found the Messiah. He makes a confession of Jesus and says, I think this is the guy. I'm going to follow him. You want to come with me? 
The first thing is that we are exploring, but there comes a moment where you make a declaration. You confess who Christ is. This is where you put a stake in the ground and say, he's not just a good guy, but he's Messiah, chosen one, Savior. I give him what I have because he is the only one. He is the only one who can save me from what ails me. And so you see a process from exploration. And here's the deal. If you hang out with Jesus long enough, chances are you're going to get to that point and say, I think this is the real deal. When you see who he is. And sometimes the way that we see Jesus best is through those who follow him the most. It's an incredible thing to realize that not only does he confess Christ, but in a moment, we're going to unpack this further, but do you notice he goes and he tells his brother about Jesus? That often it is because of someone else's example or witness that we come to faith. I will tell you, I did not come to faith because one day I heard a voice. Joshua, this is God. Follow me. Didn't happen. That would have been awesome if it had. But it didn't. The reason I am a follower today is because someone said, I've got to tell you about the one who loves me no matter what I've done. So, explorer confessing. And then over the next three years, over the next three years of being with Jesus, they go from being little baby Christians, and I don't mean that just like young, I mean immature Christians. Some of us in here today, man, you're just starting your faith walk. Congratulations, we are so excited. But the truth is, some of us in here are starting our faith walk, and we're still sort of immature in the process. Now, you don't need to feel bad about that, because little young people behave like young people. Young Christians behave like young Christians. By the way, if you are a mature Christian, don't expect a baby Christian to behave like a mature Christian. It's not going to happen yet. That happens over the time that we spend with Jesus. And so over the next three years, Andrew, he walks, he learns, he sees Jesus, how he interacts, what he does, and he grows. But there are moments where he's like growing really well. And then other times where, man, it's like two steps back. Or, man, it's like all the way to the wall back. Jesus, at times, doesn't say, way to go. He says, why are you doubting? Oh, you have little faith. He goes so far as to tell one of his disciples, a guy named Peter, get behind me. What's the word, church? Satan. So there were days in following Jesus. It's not just up and to the right. There are days where, man, it's just, you're learning. But, man, there are days you just fail. Understand this. Failure today does not have to be fatal for life. If you have failed in your following of Jesus, here's the beautiful thing of our God. He doesn't smack you and say, can't you get your act together? He says, hey, let's take another step together. I love what one guy says. He, he makes this really interesting point, I think. He says, with little kids, have you ever watched like a little child, you know, when they're, when they're just starting to learn to walk? I've shared this before, but when they are first walking, God, in his providence, gives all of us these massive bulbous bobbleheads when we're a little bitty. Have you noticed this? Like the rest of our life, we're trying to grow into our head. And so God gives us kids these huge heads. And the reason for that is this. When they start to learn how to walk, they, you know, they come over, they pull up. And then you, you know this. You've got the camera out, mom, dad, grandparents. And it's like, oh, Johnny's about to do it. Johnny, let's go with one hand. He sort of, this is, Let's go the other. And then, whichever way his head is pointing, what happens? That's the way he goes. Walking is self-preservation that he does not go... 
So Johnny sees his head. He's like, whoa, 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 put that foot out. Oh, yeah. And he starts. Now, what happens? The first time Johnny makes his first step and then falls down, what does the mom and dad do? (laughs) Only one step? Come on. Aren't you better than that? No. No one ridicules the child. No one beats the child up. No one makes the child feel bad. What happens in the room when the child takes his or her first step church? It's like you won the Super Bowl, the Olympics, and you're going to Disneyland all at the same time, isn't it? You are excited because this little bobblehead learned how to take a step. Hey, it was self-preservation, but they did it. Understand that over the next three years... The bobblehead disciples, man, it was one step forward and, oh man, two or three steps back. But Jesus along the way saying, you just keep walking. You keep walking. Don't give up. Church, if you are in a place right now where you have failed, you have fallen backwards, the word from Jesus is not give up, quit, run away. It is you come after me. Start again today. Take your next step right now. It's not too late. Is that good news to anyone? I know it is for me because I know the moments where I've failed. And so finally, after the three years Christ ascends, they receive the Holy Spirit, and you see Andrew, and the rest of these 12, or these 11 rather, one falls away, but the 11 remaining apostles go on to give their lives in the service of Jesus and for Jesus. In fact, if we had time, I'd take you through the end of Andrew's life where he goes to various parts of the known world and he evangelizes, planting churches, sharing the name of Jesus until finally people got so sick of it, they said, we're going to kill this guy. They do that. They put him on what's called and has become known as the Andrew Cross. It's not a cross like this. It's an X-shaped cross. And he dies on a cross with Jesus on his lips, a man who but one day said, I think he may have something to offer me, follows his rabbi long enough that he goes to his death like his rabbi. We start here, but the goal is to end up where Christ is so much of who we are that in the way we live, and yes, even the way we may die, it looks like Jesus. So here's the big question. Are you ready? Second question. First question was, who am I following? Second, what is my next step? So real quick, we're going to wrap it up with this. Let me give you three next steps for every disciple, no matter who you are. And in fact, if we had more time, I'd, I'd say, let's just go through this. By the way, in your chair this morning, go ahead and grab it. Uh, and you go, wait, what's that? This may be underneath you right now as we speak. So go ahead and grab this little booklet. This is our Path of Discipleship booklet. It is packed with helping you identify where you are on your particular path and to know what next steps will be specifically helpful to you. In fact, if you go... I think it's page, yeah, here we go, page three. At the bottom of page three, there's a great website. You can go on there. It's a little survey. You fill it out, and it'll say, this is about where you are in your path most likely, and here's some great helpful steps to take. I'm going to just ask you, sometime this next week, take five minutes, do it. It will help you so much in figuring out what your specific next step with Jesus is. Because church, we are a church 
of disciples who are making disciples. And unless we know how to grow, how can we show anyone else how to grow? And so I want you to take this with you. But let me give you three things that no matter where you are in the process, if you are just exploring or you are all the way to Christ Center, there are three things from this text that they say, hey, this is, this is, this is high-protein fuel for the physical, spiritual body of a disciple. Number one, spend time with Jesus. If you want to be a disciple, it is impossible to be like someone that you never spend time with. And listen, I'm so glad you're here this morning. Welcome to church. We're glad you're here. But if this is the only time that you rub up against Jesus Christ in the scriptures, then you and I are going to be malnourished. How, how many of us, just real quick, show of hands, how many of you already ate something this morning? Breakfast, maybe you had breakfast and a snack in the cafe, maybe breakfast, a snack, and you brought some in here, you're pulling it out of your pockets and eating as we talk. Okay, so we've all eaten or we've eaten. How many of you ate something yesterday? Let's see some hands. How many of you plan to eat something at lunch today? How many of you hope that I finish up soon so we can beat all the other churches to lunch today? Amen. Bad news. I got another 10 minutes. Here we go. If you ate but one meal a week, you would be malnourished and hungry. How much more do we think we will be filled if we just eat one meal of Scripture a week? If you want to know your rabbi, learn from your rabbi, be like your rabbi, you need to spend time with your rabbi. And it's more than just reading the Bible. Did you know reading scripture is a great start, but it's not the final point. There's a phrase that is used to describe people who are actively learning from their rabbi, and it's this phrase. They reflect on scripture. They don't just read it. They reflect. Reflection is more than just reading through something, closing it up, and moving on. Reflection, here's the word that we often hear, it's meditating. It, it, it's just processing. Here's the best illustration I've ever seen. Growing up, our backdoor neighbor, Ryan Schrader, had a dog. And it was this big mutt of a dog. Different breeds. They didn't know what was all in this dog. But this was just a big old dog. This is, it, have you, some of you have a dog. This was a dog. You know the difference? And I remember one day, Nick, the dog, got a bone. He was so excited about his bone. He took his bone on a neighborhood tour to show all the other dogs how awesome his bone was. Nick would go along. He had his tail. He was just excited. He's like, see my bone? It's a great bone. It's an awesome bone. He'd go around and he'd find his places. He'd show off his bone. And then when he was convinced every other dog in a 10-mile radius had seen his bone, he went and he found his spot. You know the spot, right? Every dog has their spot. His was in sort of this back part of their backyard and they would sit, he would sit down. He'd look around and make sure no one was watching because once he got to his spot, it was just him and the bone time. And so he would spin a few times. Sort of come down and go, like, no, no, it's not comfy enough. He'd get back up, he'd spin a few more times and he finally, he'd sit down. He'd look up one more time, make sure no one was watching. And then he'd just go, and he was like hooch, just the slobber everywhere. But he would chew on this bone forever he would spend 30 40 50 minutes an hour just chewing on the bone he was savoring it enjoying every part of it that is the picture of spending time 
with Jesus. You read something and then you just chew on it. The mouth of your soul is... "Mm, mm, mm." You allow the taste of his words to permeate who you are. In fact, notice it says they spent a day with Jesus. How many of us... How many of us could do with spending some more time with Jesus? To just listen, to sit, to soak, to go, wow, you really do love everybody. Wow, you really do call me to change. Wow, you really do call me to forgive. How do you do it, Jesus? How? And then you just spend time with him. If you want to grow and be like your rabbi, you need to reflect on scripture daily. You need to spend time with your rabbi. Number two, notice what he says here. Be in community. This is so obvious, but you need to understand that this is so basic. Two disciples come to follow Jesus, and immediately after this moment, Jesus goes and starts collecting more disciples. Hey, Philip, you come with me, and Nathaniel, you come with me, and hey, we're just going to kind of keep growing this. In fact, we know that Jesus had at least 70 disciples that at one point he sends out to practice what he's been preaching. Jesus brought a community together for his disciples to live life with. Hear me now. This is a great place to learn about Jesus, but it's a terrible place to practice life like Jesus. That's why you need to be in a small group. You need to be in a community. Uh, My small group today, we're going to have a little Thanksgiving meal together. Many of us don't have... Um, you know, our own parents or whatever right here in town. And, and so we're going to get together and we're going to have a friend's giving this afternoon. You say, great, can I come? No, get your own community. This is our community, okay? But get a community. We'll help you get a community. And hey, listen, if, you, if there's not another leader around here, you come see me, I will start a second group if need be. We want you in community because life on your own is not the same. You will never be able to practice the way of Jesus if you're only by yourself. How many times do we see Jesus living what he says only because he's with other people? Forgiveness, grace, truth. It's with others that we grow Be in a community. Find one. Spend time with Jesus. Be in a community. And number three, this is so huge, share Jesus with others. Now, I know you're thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard this before, but have you paid attention before? Do you notice it is not after Andrew has followed Jesus for years that he goes and tells someone? Instead, look at what it says here in this verse. The, what's this word, church? What's this word? The first thing. The first thing Andrew did, the first thing he does after one day with Jesus, not years, not months, not weeks, but the first thing he does after one day with Jesus, he finds his brother and he tells him. Hey, if you want to see a story that talks about the power of telling others about Jesus in your life, changing who you are, go read John chapter 9 later this week. It's about a blind man. And you'll see how as he has to tell people about Jesus, what he says of Jesus grows and changes. It's incredible. Hear me now. Some of us are never going to grow to Christ-centeredness until we begin to share Christ with those who need Christ. Because as we share him with others, an amazing thing happens. Someone says, well, what about this you say well I don't know I'll go back I'll learn so I can come and tell you so now you grow more someone says well how does this live and you go well okay I'll learn more and you come back and then as you are doing life sharing you are growing you are interacting and your commitment to Christ and conviction of who Christ is grows as you communicate Christ with others